If I haven't met you yet, my name is Daniel, and I have the, uh, the pleasure of being one of your pastors here at Awaken. And uh, let me just say, if you can't get ready to go to church after that worship set, whew, that's good. That's good. That's really good. Uh, like Pastor Ryan said, we've been uh, all weekend. We've been together with our students. And so uh, really, I could talk to you about this whole weekend, uh, but instead, I'm going to challenge you to go find somebody in a gray shirt. Now, I know these shirts are dope. I helped design them, right? So I, I go find somebody in one of these shirts uh, and go ask them about their weekend. All right, go ask them about their weekend. Uh, I'll just leave it at, at this. Uh, we talked about freedom and that true freedom only comes uh, through Christ. There's nothing that you could do to find freedom. And so stop trying because uh, you can't. And so honestly, uh, I was already on the calendar this week to, to preach. And so um, I thought about trying to, to cap the weekend with a freedom message. But honestly, in Ephesians, every week is a freedom message. And so we're going to hop right back into our, our series that we've been in. Uh, but but honestly, uh, an amazing, incredible weekend. Uh, actually, if you do me one more favor, uh, if you volunteered, whether that was time, or whether you showed up to help us uh, feed, whether you were a host home, would you just stand up for a second? And I know you're probably not going to like it, but just stand up for a second. And as they do, would you put your hands together for it? These are the true MVPs right here. Thank you guys so much. Uh, thank you guys so much. Nothing, nothing happens in student ministry uh, without people like that. Uh, and so uh, we'll talk about some, some things that happen later on, but honestly, uh, couldn't have done this weekend without you guys. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, okay, so we've been in this series in Ephesians uh, that we've called Masterpiece. And so really, I want to catch you up to where we've been. All right, this is a nice spark note edition of where we've been. Paul has preached the gospel over and over. Basically, every chapter, Paul comes back to the gospel why? Because he knows we need to hear it again and again and again, right? Uh, and really what he is preaching throughout this entire book is that we are new creations. We are no longer who we were, but we are a new creation at the moment of salvation, right? And so that's where we came up with the title of masterpiece, uh, because you're already a masterpiece. God puts you together, you're a masterpiece. And so that's really where we're going to head today. We're going to continue uh, in Ephesians. But uh, being who I am, if you know me at all, uh, I was trying to think of a great illustration, and it came back to Marvel, okay? So I'm a, I'm a Marvel guy. I like Marvel movies. Now, don't get this twisted. I don't read the comics, okay? So don't ask me about, like, series, edition. I don't read the comics. I just watch the movies uh, because I can barely understand the timelines in those, and so if I read the comics, I'd be really confused, right? Uh, one of my favorite Marvel characters is Black Panther. We have any Black Panther fans in the house? We'll have a couple. All right, cool. So this is actually going to work because you've seen what I'm talking about, all right? For those of you that have not seen uh, Black Panther, let me give you just a, a very basic summary of the first uh, movie where I'm going to pick up. If you're like, I haven't seen it, don't worry, I'm not going to spoil too much because the second movie's already out, so that's on you for not watching them. All right, but basically in 2018, Black Panther came out, and honestly, I was blown away sitting in theaters watching uh, this movie. Uh, the acting was great. The story was great. The setting was great. It was just a well-done piece of art. Uh, and as this movie uh, picks up, we pick up the story of uh, a Black Panther. His name's T'Challa. And what he's doing uh, is he is uh, fighting for his throne, right? Basically, his dad was killed, and so the throne is now open. And so he is having to fight for his right to lead his people, 
right? And so one of, uh, one of, my, favorite, one of my favorite scenes in all the movies, actually pretty early on, uh, and I have a picture of it because I was going to show the scene and then there was like some blood and I was like, no, nah, I don't want to risk it. Uh, and so uh, there's this scene. If you've seen the movie, this is a very familiar scene, uh, but I want to tell you what's happening in this scene, right? So uh, T'Challa is, at a, is in a fight uh, for his position. Uh, he is uh, the heir to the kingdom, uh, but in their, in their country, they have to actually like fight for it. And so what it is, is it's all the tribes there on the edge of a waterfall, which is wild in itself. And they're fighting in like calf high water and it's just amazing. And uh, anyways, there's this moment in this scene uh, where he gets like a, a shot to the head and he's like blacking out a little bit. He's like fading. It's, and that's why I couldn't show because it was blood. Uh, and uh, he's like fading in and out. And there's this moment one of the most impactful lines in maybe all of Marvel's cinematic uh, history. Right? As he's fading out, he looks back and his mother is over his shoulder and his mother yells, show them who you are. Show them who you are. Right? And so he snaps back into it. And of course, he's the hero of the story. Right? And so he, he battles and fights back. But the cool thing about this scene is he's, as he's battling back, and he ends up winning, obviously, uh, and he's battling back. As he's doing it, he's calling out his identity. He says, man, I am T'Challa. I am the son of a king. And he's going, and it's just like building, and the music's rising, and everybody's getting all fired up. I don't know, dudes in the theater are probably like standing up, clapping. It's, it's amazing, right? I actually think, and that's why I talk about Marvel, because you're probably like, what is this guy doing? I'm talking about Marvel because I think, I think this phrase, show them who you are, is exactly what Paul would say as he's writing this book. Right? He's talking to a church in Ephesus, and he's giving them all these things. I'm going to sum it up in this. Show them who you are. Now, I think the same call is still here today. Show them who you are. There's only one problem with that. In the story, right, T'Challa begins to say who he is because he knows who he is. There's some people in the room this morning that don't actually know who they are. So when they yell out, show them who you are, you don't have an answer because you don't know who you are. And so my question for you this morning the one I want you to think about over the next 25 minutes or so, is who are you? I don't want a church answer. Who are you? So that's where we're going this morning. As you guys get your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians 5, and as you get those out, uh, I'm actually going to pray to start our time together. Dear God, thank you. Thank you that you have given us a name, that you have given us an identity, and so today, God, would you allow us to unpack the truths of Scripture so that we know exactly who we are, and we can show the world around us who you've made us to be. So God, we love you. We thank you that you are here. We thank you that you love us. GSM, I pray, amen. All right, Ephesians 5. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, we're gonna be in Ephesians 5. Uh, and honestly, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 21. Now, I'm not going to do all of those verses, okay? I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit in that section, uh, but I'm going to cover basically everything in 1 through 21, okay? Uh, Pastor Ryan, if you were here last week, started us off with verse 1. And so if you were here last week, I'm going to kind of piggyback on where he ended, and I'm going to start there because this doesn't make sense unless you actually understand line one. Okay, so if you would, I'm going to read verses one and two, and then I'm going to jump down a little bit. And so just follow along with me. We also have it up on the screen. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jump down with me to verse eight. 
For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Here again, my question to you this morning, who are you? Like I said, I don't think we can actually answer this question without looking at verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Everything that comes in the following 20 verses won't make sense unless you actually understand that one. You are a child of God. You are not who you were. You are a brand new creation. You're beloved. You're a masterpiece. And your purpose is to be an imitator of God. This is the foundation of everything we're going to talk about for the next few minutes. And so if you miss this, you're going to kind of miss the whole thing. So don't miss this because the text today is actually very clear. You actually probably don't need me to talk to you a ton about the text uh, because it's, it's, it's very clear. Really, the challenge that you're going to have today is hearing and reading uh, what Scripture says and then actually making the choice to apply it. So as we dive in today, there's the foundation. We are children of God. We are children of the Almighty God, adopted into a family, perfect, loving Father. Okay, there's the foundation. Are we all good so far? Just give me a thumbs up. Let me know you're still here. Okay, cool, great. All right, there's the foundation. Okay, so uh, I'm going to try to remember to call out my points to you guys. And so point number one. Here's what we're going to do today. Point number one, we're going to walk the walk. So if you're writing notes today, go ahead and write down walk the walk. Uh, looking at me, you probably don't understand that I did play high school sports. I know I don't look like it. I played basketball, uh, but I was also this tall as a freshman and then stopped growing. So thanks, genetics. Uh, but playing basketball, growing up playing basketball, you run into those people who like to talk a lot. Uh, if you've played sports, or maybe uh, you still do, or maybe you know people, maybe they're sitting next to you, don't hit them, don't embarrass them. They like to talk a lot. Some of our students, you know who you are. Like, they like to talk a lot. There's something different about somebody who talks a talk and somebody who walks a walk. Like, we know what we're talking about here, right? If you're a sports guy, there's those people who run their mouth, and then they show up on the brightest moment, and then they're not there, right? You lose your, you lose your reputation pretty quick if you're all talk and no game. Right? And so it's different when we're talking about walk the walk. We want to be people who walk the walk and not just talk the talk. Because, here's why, because the world outside has heard enough talk. They've heard enough talk and they want to see people who are actually walking the walk and doing what they're saying that they believe in. So what is this walk actually supposed to look like? Verse 2. Gives, I told you, all, everything is in the text. Verse 2. And walk in love. So what does our walk look like? It looks like love. We're to follow Christ and walk in love. Now, before we go too far down this trail, I think we have to actually define what love is, right? Because we live in a culture that like, has kind of like polluted this word love, right? I love Marvel. I love Whataburger, the good ones. 
I love my wife. I love shoes. I love my son, right? I'm just throwing these all out, right? Because it's all the same word, but those all definitely mean different things, right? But we use this word love all the time, so it's kind of lost what it actually means, right? So I did a little bit. I listened to people who are way smarter than me, and I came up with a couple of quick bullet points for you guys about love. Love isn't a feeling. It's Valentine's Day coming up. Love, is a, love isn't a feeling because if you fall in love, that means you can fall out of love. Love takes work. Ask some people who are married. Love takes work. Love isn't just an unconditional affirming action either. By evidence of you being in the room today, at some point in time, somebody told you no. Somebody who loved you, loved you enough to tell you no, because if not, we'd all be dead. Think about it. If I gave my son anything and everything he wanted, he would not be here. Loving somebody doesn't mean that you unconditionally affirm everything that they do. That's different for people in culture. Because if you love me, you'll accept everything I do. That's not true. Love is not unconditional affirmation. Love is a sacrifice. You're not going to see this on too many cards this week, so sorry, guys. Don't write this down on your cards that you send to your wife or your girlfriend. Love is a sacrifice. No greater love than this than to lay one's life down. It's in Scripture. John 3.16, we know it, we quote it. That's true love. So as we begin to ask this question, who am I? We start there, we have to walk in love, but not love like culture around us says that love is. So shameless plug here, I have an adorable son. All right, if you, uh, if you know him, I'm just gonna say it, I got an adorable son. All right, there he is. God, love that guy. Uh, I have one son, he's 10 months old, uh, and I had this, I had this picture of what it means to imitate, right? Now, mama might get mad because he definitely imitated me first, uh, so don't, don't, it's okay. He loves you too, I promise, right? He's 10 months old. He loves to imitate. If you've ever been a parent or you've been around people uh, who have kids, right, you know that uh, kids are sponges. Uh, yeah, kids are sponges. Uh, and so he loves to imitate. I remember the first time I got him to imitate me, and that's why I took this picture because I was sticking my tongue out at him like that, and he imitated me. I said, oh, he did it. Right? And so now it's like progressed to like raspberries and in the car, like we'll scream and he screams back and it's, it's great. It's a whole thing. He loves to imitate. And the crazy thing is he doesn't care what he actually looks like. Now you're like, well, he's 10 months old. Yeah, but he doesn't care what he looks like. It's in our nature. We imitate when we love and we feel safe. Right? My son, he knows that I love him. He knows that it's the safest place he could be is with me. And so, of course, he's going to imitate we only can imitate when we have true love. We can only imitate when we feel safe. All right, so, so don't lose this. There's a reason why we're called children of God. There's a reason why we talk that children uh, can come to Jesus because they actually get it. Right, as we get older, somehow we disconnect from that. Imitate the Father. See, Raph doesn't worry about what he looks like. Raph's not worried what people think about him. Raph's not even worried about his own health and safety. All he knows is that he loves me and that he feels safe with me. And so he's going to imitate dad. Get that picture for a second. In a much greater way, isn't that what we're called to do when we say imitate God the Father? 
He is our greatest security no matter what. His love is greater still. Imagine, what if we didn't care what we look like to the world around us? What if we didn't care about the cost? What if we didn't care about our own well-being or our safety, but instead we chose to actually follow Scripture and imitate God? See, where we're headed today, this is the kind of belief it takes to walk this kind of walk. I told you it's in the text. I told you the text is not that hard, uh, but what is hard is choosing to follow what it says. It's this kind of love, it's this kind of imitation that actually shapes our walk. You are loved. You are a child of God, so walk. God is literally telling us here in the pages, show them who you are. Show them who you are because I am. If you're taking notes, note uh, point number two is to walk in the light. Verses 8, 9, and 10 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that's good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. As we begin to walk, uh, Paul is quick to remind us once again of the gospel of Christ. You might be wondering at this point, if you've been with us through all the weeks so far in Ephesians, why does he keep repeating this over and over again? A couple of examples, right? Right now we have darkness, now made light. In chapter 2, we have once dead, now alive. In chapter 3, we were an orphan, now we belong to a family. Chapter 4, we had old clothes, now we have a fresh fit. Why did he think that we forgot? If you weren't with us early on in the series, I think it's important here to remind you to the culture that he's speaking to. Right, so Ephesus, the town that he is uh, writing this letter to the church in that, in that town, uh, man, it was the hub of everything that was going on back then. I mean, there was an enormous amount of money. There was people that were climbing the social ladder to try to get higher and higher and higher. Sounds familiar. Uh, there was a massive temple actually in this city that stood at the top of the hill. That was a, a temple that was made for prostitution and sex. Sounds familiar. Uh, there was people in the city that would talk trash and look down on Christians because they lived countercultural and they thought that was weird and they were outcasts. Sounds familiar. Right? You think maybe that Ephesus here is a pretty uh, close replica of just a major American city. So why does Paul continue to point out the gospel? I think it's a good point here. Uh, we have to remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel. Right, we live in this, in this culture that is so anti-everything that is in Scripture that life gets hard, and I think Paul knew that. I mean, I would ask the question, can you imagine like parenting and discipling people in that city? But yeah, you probably can. It's hard. The culture around them was toxic, and so Paul continually comes back and points them to the truth of the gospel. He reminds them you have a new identity. He reminds them that you once were darkness, but now you're light. And I think he's beginning to remind them this over and over and over again because the gospel should actually change our walk. The gospel should actually change our walk. When I was a little kid, I remember first grade or so, uh, I used to be terrified of the dark. All right, so when I was a little guy, uh, I was the youngest in my family. I was the only boy, and so I had my own room. Yes, I'm the youngest, probably spoiled, you would say. Uh, I had my own room. 
right? And I remember uh, first grade around that age being terrified of the dark. Now, this was like not like, these were like irrational, right? I would be scared that like alligators were swimming underneath my bed. And if I stepped out, that I would be like, ah, I'd be gone, right? Uh, That was my fear. And so I remember as a little guy, I remember laying in my bed and being paralyzed by fear. If you have kids, maybe you remember back to your childhood, there was something in our childhood that probably traumatized us to that point. I remember so many nights I would stay in bed, laying there, paralyzed that if I just even looked over, I might have something come up and try to get me. I'd be paralyzed, and so what I would do is I'd just lay there and I'd begin to call out to my mom and dad. Mom, dad, of course they wouldn't come. Mom, dad, still wouldn't come. I'm like, mom, dad, and I got my sisters banging on the wall telling me to be quiet, right? I was paralyzed by fear. I could do nothing but sit there and call out because I didn't have any other choice. This is such a picture of where some of us are this morning. Paul is telling us that we have to walk in light, but we're so terrified by what the light might show that we just stay in our bed and close our eyes really tight. We begin to think, if they actually knew the darkest areas of my room, the darkest areas of my life, they wouldn't want to hang out with me. The grace that they talked about a couple weeks back, that wouldn't be enough for me. So instead, we stay paralyzed, and we just get white knuckle, and we close our eyes, and we just somehow believe that, okay, this is eventually going to go away. Paul is actually highlighting here that, no, light brings freedom. Right? When my parents came in and turned on the bedroom light, I realized there was no alligators. There was a freedom when the light came on. Like Paul is saying the same thing. When the light comes on, there's freedom. Does that mean that there's no, still not some areas yet to grow through? Absolutely not. But when the light comes on, there's freedom. The truth of this is that the light did come on. Right? Jesus already took all of the mess and all of the dark spots, all of our closet stuff hidden, and he already said, I got it. The light's already been on, so open your eyes. Shine a light. Wake up to the reality that Jesus already paid for all of the dark areas of your life. And just in case you're like, I don't really know what you're talking about, uh, he highlights three of them in here. He highlights three areas that would still probably smack most of us somewhere uh, in the back of the head. Right, verse three, he says, sexual immorality and all impurity. Right, over the last several weeks, we've talked about addiction. We've talked about porn, how it's just a rampant epidemic in in our society, no doubt. But well, he doesn't stop there. He says all impurity. Right? That's going too far with the boyfriend or girlfriend. That's all impurity. That's lusting after somebody else. That's all impurity. That's falling into those thirst traps on social media. That's all impurity. This doesn't hurt anybody, uh, but, but Paul's saying it does. All impurity is under this. Second one he points out, verse 4, no filthiness or foolish talk, crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let their mouths be words of thanksgiving. Realize what he's saying is that the way you talk, period, the way you talk. I've had people ask me before, is it wrong to cuss? Mm, The way you talk. Again, it's not hard. It's not hard to understand what's happening in Scripture. The hard part is, is saying like, yep, I can follow that. That's the choice. And I know this one right here, that's hard for me because I can be negative. I can be rude. 
So often it's easy for me to fall back into that. In fact, we're all called to be gracious and full of words that give life and to be full of gratitude. It talks about uh, coveting. It's not a word we like to talk about often. Uh, let me ask you this, coveting, when's the last time that somebody in your circle got a big win, but you couldn't celebrate it because you thought it should have been you? Mm. Coveting leads to idolatry. Right? Idolatry is a word that we find in scripture and we're like, well, I don't have the little like idol sitting on my desk. Good things become bad things when good things become God things. That's an idol. I got to talk really quick to my students. We've talked about this before. Relationships are not bad. Social uh, climbing, having friends, being in a relationship, it's not bad. Athletic achievement's not bad. Academic success is not bad. Those are not bad. But when good things become God things, now we have a problem. Now, if you find your worth so wrapped up in other things, that becomes an idol. I think actually Paul is saying this out of grace because he knows that we're going to put all of our hope and our faith in these things that we put up as idols only to be heartbroken because those things will always let you down. Every last one of them. He's trying to say, hey, save yourself some heartache because the only thing that actually should own the throne of your heart is Jesus. And just Jesus alone, not Jesus and success, not Jesus and money, not Jesus and job, not Jesus and relationship. It's just Jesus. Jesus and anything else doesn't work. I told you there's not much space for interpretation here. Paul is laying it out pretty clear in scripture. He's saying if you play around and you mess with these things, there's no inheritance in the kingdom of God for you. Now you're like, well, uh, last week, two weeks ago, we just talked about grace. Where's that at? And really, I was going to try to put together something, but I couldn't sum it up any better than Dietrich Bonhoeffer did. So I got this quote for you. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church, discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. That's cheap grace. Costly grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus. And it's costly. This grace is costly because it cost a man his life. And it's grace because it gives a man the only true life he could have. This grace is costly because it condemns sin. And it's grace because it justifies the sinner. It's costly because it cost God his son. You were bought at a price. We can't cheapen grace. So perhaps you're sitting there and you got this like pit in your stomach. A little bit of conviction. I would say good. That's kind of heartless. No, I would say good because that's where healing actually begins. This isn't a message of shame and guilt. Please hear me like I am not perfect. I mess up every day. I have to confess. I have to seek forgiveness. This is not a shame and guilt message. I would just hope and pray that perhaps for the first time, maybe you're seeing these things as, oh, I've got these areas in my life. And grace is costly and I need it and so I can't cheapen it. 
Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is who you are, a masterpiece. You recall to shine bright, so shine. You are free, truly a masterpiece. Last point here, uh, walk with wisdom. This is how we walk, walk with wisdom. Paul is saying very clearly here in this text to wake up and to walk in wisdom. Here's the thing about walking in wisdom, it takes time. Each day we're to look more and more like Christ. It doesn't happen overnight. Like you don't just show up and get saved and then the next day you've got all wisdom and all knowing and you're walking perfectly. That's not how this works. That'd be unrealistic. Paul is saying walk in wisdom. So what does that actually look like? That means walking with people. Soaking up like a child, like a sponge from those around you. You spend time in a relationship with people who are in a community that are chasing after the same thing, and that's Jesus. In fact, we've had this, this topic of mentorship come up quite a bit in the last couple of weeks uh, with our pastors and people in our church. I think that's great. Right? Mentorship, you want somebody to help walk along life with you so that you can learn and grow in Christ. No matter the age, if you're 12, 18, 30, 35, 40, 55, I would say this to each and every person in here, don't wait for somebody to come to you and say, hey, can I mentor you? Be bold enough to ask, hey, can I walk alongside life with you? Every single person in the room, no matter your age, should be looking to gain some wisdom. I have mentors in my life that I meet with regularly. I need them. I need them. I stepped into a position with the church almost three years ago without having any formal education to do it. I needed mentors. I still need those mentors. I've been married seven years. I know that's just like a drop in the bucket to some people. I need mentors. I still like, have to pinch myself. I'm like, I'm a dad. Yeah, I definitely need mentors. So what I do is I get around men who have been parents, who are parents, who've been walking with God a long time, who do ministry, and I soak up what I can from them. We talked about it this week with our students. You get out what you put in. Same thing goes for mentorship. You get out what you put in. You want somebody to walk alongside life with you, you got to get real. So no matter what season of life you're in, find a mentor. Find some wisdom. What an opportunity we have. What if everybody in our church was connected? What if everybody had a discipleship partner, a mentor to walk alongside life with? What an opportunity we have. All right, Paul continues on in verse 16, and he talks about something that we're all too familiar with, time. Which is funny to think that Paul talks about making the best use of your time because he didn't have all the things that we have, right? So we're like, how does he know about time? Obviously, time was still very valuable back then, just as it is now. So he says, make the best use of your time. So I ask, how are you using your time? As we begin to talk about walking this out, I think it's important to take inventory. I could tell you a little bit of, a, of our story. Back in 2018, uh, Lauren and I were married and living in, in Temple, uh, middle of the Bible Belt. For those of you that aren't 
from Texas. That's the buckle, right? So we had all the churches, uh, right? And so we had kind of just gotten used to just doing this like American Christianity. Like it was cool. Like I would show up on Sunday most of the time. And then I would go out to eat lunch and I would tip really well because, you know, you've heard those things about people that go to church on Sunday. They don't tip well. And so we tip really well. Right. And then that was good until next Sunday. And then we would kind of fall back into that process again. Now, I'm not saying that coming to church on Sundays as a regular rhythm and routine is bad. I'm not saying that at all. We need that. But what else? Like, I knew, all the, I knew all the verses. Go and make disciples of all nations. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Whom shall I send? Send me. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to all creation. I knew all the verses. But I surely wasn't doing it. In this season, we began to pray really big prayers. And we began to develop this burden for our neighbors. We began to develop a burden for a city around us, the people that were hurt. Perhaps maybe for the first time in my life, being born and raised in a Christian household, I was actually uncovering that Jesus did save me for a purpose. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ changes everything, including how we spend our time. Paul is saying make the most of your time that you've been given because how you live matters. So I would challenge you sometime this week, take a, t- take a time inventory. Look at your schedule. And I'm not saying everything has to be church related, but reach out to a neighbor. Have a gospel conversation. Have a little wiggle room in your calendar. That way when God actually provides you a gospel conversation opportunity, you're not so focused on what you have to get to that you miss out. Paul ends here with calling believers to walk in wisdom and understand this is the will of God. It's not about the specifics. He's not saying, hey, this is uh, your job. This is your school choice. This is your, who you're going to marry. What he's saying is walk in wisdom. God's already revealed his will. And it's for us to unpack by understanding scripture and getting in mentorship relationships. So I'm going to invite the band back up as I wrap up. Uh, and honestly, if you've heard nothing else today, if you've heard nothing else today, what I want to do is I want to I challenge you. God has called every believer to pursue. He's told you, hey, this is what you pursue. You pursue me. You imitate me. He's even given us extra help in this passage by telling us, hey, don't pursue these things. Our call is to look more like Christ. To lean in and gain wisdom and to walk in the truth that we uncover. So maybe this is brand new to you, and you're like, I've never even ex- heard or experienced either of this. Well, the, the call for you, the invitation for you is, is this. You want to experience freedom, it's in Christ. And once you experience that freedom, then you get to shine bright. So believers, shine bright. There's people already in your sphere of influence that desperately need you to turn the light on. As we wrap up this morning, I want to remind you where we started. Show them who you are. Show them who you are. In order to get there, you've got to do some self-examination. You've got to turn the lights on in some areas. 
You got to realize the things that you're carrying that you're not meant to carry. And so really, I'm going to ask you to do something that's maybe a little weird for some of you. You're going to be like, oh, here comes the youth guy. He's going to make us do something weird. I am, but I'm going to ask you to be bold. Okay, we had students do it. You've seen this cross over here. We had students do it last night, and it's powerful. Again, we're talking about freedom. We're talking about experiencing a life with Jesus, which is so much better than what you could do on your own. So I'm going to ask, uh, I have some students that have some, uh, some papers and some pens. Uh, and so if you guys would go ahead and get up. And what they're going to do is they're just going to kind of make their way uh, through the seats. And uh, they're going to give you some sticky notes or some note cards and some pens. If you've got pen, go ahead. You can use your own. It's not the pen that makes it special, right? And so they're just going to have some paper and some pens, and they're going to start passing them out. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is during this song, uh, this is just a symbolic piece. Jesus already paid the price for all the baggage that you're trying to carry. Jesus already paid the price for all the dark stuff in your life that you don't think anybody needs to know about. Maybe it's past trauma. Maybe it's past hurt. Maybe it's a, a season that you, can't, you just can't forgive somebody. Maybe it's ongoing sin or addiction. The power isn't in coming up here and putting it on the cross. The power is actually laying it at the feet of Jesus. So what I'm gonna ask you to do is while they play and in, during this invitation time, uh, we'll have some people in the back that are, that are willing and ready to pray with you if you'd like somebody to pray and walk along this uh, life with you. Uh, but I'm gonna just challenge you to just sit for a minute. Just be, remove distractions. Ask God, hey God, would you show me the areas that I need to lay at your feet? Would you show me the areas that I need to shine a light into so that I can look more and more like you? So whenever you're ready, as they begin to sing, after you've written something down, we're just going to have this open. And so you can come up and you can stick them on the cross. You can lay them at the feet. We've got some clothespins. We've got some pins up there. You can do however you feel led, but let this be a moment. Let this be a moment. That whatever you came in here wearing, you don't have to go out with the same thing. You can leave it right here at the cross.